Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dimensional Dreams podcast. This is your host Dee Dee and I'm so happy to be connecting with you today. Um, so today on the podcast, which is kind of funny because most of like the podcast episodes I do are not really in the structure that I originally intended. Um, but sometimes I just get like an inkling to talk about something in a specific way or not in the structure and it's seeming like it's most of the time. Um, so maybe at some point it'll go back to the structure. Um, but today it seems like, um, this would be a good time to put out the dream about the golden church. Um, and so this one, I'm not going to do much of an interpretation of the dream itself. Um, but I will say what I think it's connected to. Um, and it's going to be a pretty short podcast today. So I'm just going to get into the dream and then talk about a few things um, and maybe like some keywords to look up because it's a pretty straightforward dream. Um, however, I'm, I feel like it's one of those dreams that is, uh, how would I say that is, um, um, what's the right words that is still building up. It's still, there's still more information to come out because it's connected to a lot of different things. Like right now, I'm thinking about the connection to the Queen of Carthage dream. And in some way, this dream is connected to the Queen of Carthage dream, which is something that I'm also piecing together. And it's like an ongoing thing. Um, So there's a lot of pieces that are still out right now. But for whatever reason, at this point in time, I do want to talk about this major piece to the puzzle. Now, this dream is really fun because I had never heard of the Golden Church before I had this dream. Um, so it was really, really cool, especially like when I woke up from it and I Googled it and I found the church exactly. It was actually really wild. Um, and then um, the content of the dream... Um, uh, also, there was a lot of information in there that I found, oh gosh, that I found connections to. So this is a very, very interesting dream. Um, and like I said, I still haven't found out exactly what everything's connected to, but, uh, I'm sure over time. So let's get into the dream. Okay. So this dream I had, I was um, sort of like, so when I caught consciousness of being in the dream, and it's kind of tricky because I was like semi-lucid, so I wasn't aware of this reality, but I was aware enough in that dream reality to interact with everyone around. Um, So I still had like my core self, I guess I would say. Um, But I didn't know that I was necessarily in a dream. I felt like I was in real life. Um, Even though, of course, as I get into it, like core elements of it clearly wouldn't make sense for it to be this life, right? But I don't want to get into the metaphysics of it because that could have been an actual life. And that's why I didn't register this one, right? (laughs) Anyways, I'm not getting into that. Okay. So... Um, this dream started, oh, yes, can you guys hear the baby in the back? (laughs) 
Um, a little Piscean. Okay, so anyways, so this dream started and I was walking along this um sort of pathway and it actually started out with me seeing myself walking in a group. So I guess I hadn't like calibrated into my body in that reality. I don't actually know what that experience is, but it started out with me seeing myself walking with a group of people. And then as they were walking closer to this church, like I merged with myself and I was looking out of my eyes. Now that I'm thinking about it, it was pretty interesting. And so anyways, I'm like in the group. So I'm like calibrated in my body. I'm in the group. Um, and I noticed that I'm one of the only visibly black people. Like there's one other person who was a male, I believe. And um, he was like a lighter shade of traditional looking African American, I would say. Um, but we we're the only two visibly black people. Um, and I was like the darkest person in the group, um, which I thought was interesting. So in my head, I'm like, uh, what am I doing here? Um, and most of the people in this group, first of all, most of them were female. I do want to say that. And then most of them were what we traditionally in modern day would consider to be Native American looking, um, which I also thought was interesting. So there was one, you know, blonde eyed, blue eyed person, maybe two, like another female and male. Um, there was like one Asiatic person, um, then us two black folk. And most people were Native American, I would say. Um looking now of course you know like what you look on the outside is not a indication of you know like your ancient ancient ancestry you know what I mean like I am you know um of course mainly like Nigerian but in Togo you know um from these African countries but I also have roots in other places as well um so not to say what everybody's ancient ancestry is, you know, because, uh, anyways, you get what I'm saying. I don't want to spend too much time on that, but just phenotypically, that's what everyone looked like. And so we're walking in there. It's like kind of sort of like mid to high grass around. And I remember thinking like, this is such a nice church. Cause I'll explain it in a second. But I'm like, this is such a nice church. I wonder why the grass hasn't been cut. I guess people haven't been here in a while. Um, and the other thing is that I felt like most of the people in the group were family. Now, not close family, but like, I knew that we we're all connected to each other, um, through DNA, but we we're like extended cousins or something. Um, and so I was like, okay. And I knew that we were like all going to the church. Okay. Cause the church was clearly visible. Like, so, <laughs> um, it's kind of interesting, but I could see, like, into the church. Um, so I didn't really get a clear perspective of what the outside necessarily looked like. Um, I know that it, it, it looked not American. <laughs> like, it was an American architecture, and it was, like, an older, maybe Spanish, you know sort of architecture or something like that but when I was looking I could actually see into the church um and so 
when I was looking into the churches we were walking up it, it was like golden. Like it was golden. There was a lot of Baroque style in it. And it was like everything was pretty much golden. I mean, uh, you know, the pews and stuff weren't golden, of course. And, and the door was like this really weird old wood type of door. And I remember thinking like, that's so interesting because from the outside of it, you wouldn't be able to see what was inside of it. Like you wouldn't think that it was like gold inside and Baroque style with all these details and everything. And so anyways, we get up to the door and there's this guy. (laughs) And um, in the dream, it's so funny. In the dream, I kept calling him Hitler. And I was like, why is Hitler outside of the door? And so he was like waiting outside of the door. Um... He was waiting outside. He was waiting outside the door for us to go into the church, and I'm like, "Why is Hitler here?" Um, even though I was looking at him and I knew that his face wasn't Hitler's face, I kept calling him Hitler. Though um, it was very interesting. It was like a slip of the tongue that I didn't think to correct, like because I thought that I was calling him by his name, even though I knew it wasn't really Hitler's face. But something about his energy, I guess, made me think of him being Hitler-like. Um, but I didn't have a consciousness of like everything that Hitler had done in this reality. Um, but the energy he was giving off was like this kind of, how would I say, it? like a trickster. Not not really a trickster, but you know, some people have like a personality where they just are a little irritating and they have a lot of antics and stuff and just really, you know, just, I don't know. I can't quite put my finger on it, but just not a super likable person and kind of irritating. (laughs) And so he was standing outside the church and I was like, okay, I guess he's going to be our tour guide of the church. Now, the other thing is that I knew that this was some type of family church So it was like we were all genetically connected to each other, like very distant cousins. And this was like our family church we were going to, like to tour it or something. And so he was going to be our tour guide. Um, And so anyways, we get up to the door and he opens it. And there's like, you know, of course, traditional. um, I'm actually not sure if they do this in all Christian churches, but I'm assuming that they do. Um, There's like the Stations of the Cross. So we were doing the Stations of the Cross. Now, I don't know if it was actually Easter weekend. Okay, sorry. I had to go and talk to the baby for a second. Okay. <laughs> um, um, what was I saying? Oh, yeah, the stations of the cross. You can probably hear him playing with his little toy over there. <laughs> um, the stations of the cross. Okay, so we're going through the stations of the cross. And, you know, I'm like, oh, okay. You know, not my favorite thing. Um... And I started to notice, like, I start to really look at the stained glass windows because it was like the stained glass windows had the scenes of the cross, um, had the stations of the cross. When I started looking at the stained glass window, though, I started to be like, why is our family <laughs> pictured as the angels? It was like, um, it, it was kind of like... It was a mix of scenes of like the stations of the cross and like different angels helping with different stages of the cross. But these were like family members 
in the face of the angels. And I was like, you know, it's like <laughs> if you had like some distant great grandfather or something like that. And he was being pictured as like uh, St. Michael, you know, like people who don't know the family or who haven't done research on the family would think that like maybe someone was inspired and saw the face of Gabriel and this was the face of Gabriel. And I'd be like, no, that's like our third great grandfather. <laughs> um, And it's very interesting because one of them, I remember, um, I was like, what is Jesse doing here? And so anyway, so I'm just like, okay, why are we doing these stations of the cross? Because <laughs> I'm ready to go. Like seeing the family church, it's wild. Okay. And I also remember that, like, okay, so the back of the church where the pews were and, like, where the congregation was, um, was very lit up. But the altar, um, and where they had this, like, massive Jesus on the cross, uh, I don't remember if it was a statue or if it was, like, it was, like, a carving in the wall in the back but it was massive it was humongous and I just started feeling uncomfortable and so we get to the last station and then all of the family sits in the pews and so this person and I'm going to tell you who it was afterwards but in the dream I kept calling him Hitler Um, he got up in front of everyone and so he was like you know, talking about a few things, and I was kind of in and out of what he was saying, because I was just kind of ready to go. Um, It had a very uh, strong energy in the church, but I couldn't tell which spectrum of energy it was on, like more the positive side, more the negative side. I was really unsure. And you know, when I'm unsure about things at this stage in life, I just don't really fool with it too much. So I was just kind of ready to go. So anyway, so um, then he like starts talking really loud all of a sudden, or maybe I was just tuning back into him. I don't know, but it sounded like he got really loud all of a sudden. And so he was like, boys and girls, <laughs> boys and girls, um, in the Bible story, who would be the Satan character? And so everybody's like whispering among themselves and we're just kind of looking at each other like, what is he talking about? And he was like, no, I want you to really think about this. And he was very theatrical. Is I want you to really think about this. If you were to put it, a person specifically who would play the adversary, who would be the adversary of this story? And so I'm like, Mm, okay and so then of course he singles me out he's like you there you know who it is and I'm like okay cool so I'm like um and he's like don't think about it you know exactly who it is I'm like okay so I just yell out I'm like clearly it would be Jacob and he was like correct and why would it be Jacob and I'm like well because his name means the usurper and basically like he's the thief He's like, correct. And if you are the thief, then what do you do to hide that you are the adversary? And I was like, well, you would tell people that <laughs> that you're not a thief, even though your actions are thief-like. And so um, after that, he's like, correct. And so then everyone just got up and <laughs> we left the church And we went to our next store. And that's when I woke up from the dream.
Um, so it was very interesting because, uh, first of all, I immediately went to look up this church and I was like, okay, I don't know where it was because there were like not any street signs that I could see. Um, there weren't any street signs that I could see. Um, but I was like, I mean, it's a golden church with Baroque design and it was so golden and Baroque. I'm like, it'll probably pop up. And lo and behold, Sao Francisco Church in Portugal popped up. Um, St. Francis, and I'm pretty sure this is St. Francis of Assisi um, Church, popped up in uh, Portugal. Actually, let me let me double check exactly where this church is, like what city it's in. Um because I want to say that too. I mean, even if you look it up though, it'll be um oh yeah, Porto. Yeah, Porto, Portugal, the Golden Church. Yes, and it's Monument Church of St. Francis, but it's called São Francisco. Um, in Portugal. So the interesting thing um, about this is that there is this huge, ridiculously huge statue of Jesus in this church. And it talks about the family tree of Jesse in the Bible. Now, I want to say that Jesse was the father of, oh my gosh, I should know this. Um, Actually, I'm just going to look it up right quick because I don't want to spend too much time thinking about it. Um, So, yes, the father of King David. Yes. Okay. I'm like, was it David or was it earlier than that? So, he is the father of King David and he is also called... um, Esai, which kind of looks like the beginning of Isaiah, but it's I-S-A-I. Um, and he was the son of Oed and the grandson of Boaz and Ruth. And he was a farmer and sheep breeder in Bethlehem. David was the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. Um, notable family members. Oh, and his spouse was Abigail. That's interesting because I'm pretty sure that they said that the first wife of David, was it the first wife of David was Abigail or the second wife of David was Abigail? I mean, royal families did some weird stuff back then. Okay, so this was Abigail, an Israelite woman who was married to Nabal. And then she became married to the future King David after Nabal's death. Okay, so could totally be a different person. I don't know. Um, but anyways, there is like a, um, there is a, uh, what do you call it? A, she's Louise, family tree of Jesse in this church. Um, and <laughs> also, also the person in the dream was Napoleon. It was not Hitler, but I guess they have some type of connection of energy. It was Hitler. Um, and so I found it very interesting because when I started to look up this church online, um, I started to see that there was like a, what do you call it underneath the church? Where they have like um, bones of people and stuff. Oh, hold on, let me get the baby. Okay, so 
anyways um so uh i kind of forgot where i left off but <laughs> i was talking about oh yeah yeah napoleon and so i found out that napoleon actually stopped at this church and turned it into a horse stable before his um oh my gosh what do they call that you know like uh, it's not a pilgrimage to egypt it was like a oh my gosh what do they call them uh um uh, i forgot the name of it but uh, he basically made a pit stop in portugal and turned this church into his horse stable (laughs) before he did like we'll just call it a tour to egypt you know, um, and so he goes to Egypt and there's this whole connection between Napoleon um, after he went to this church um, and the uh, the is it the temple of Dendera in Egypt where um, Hatshepsut and they find that old ancient astrology, I think steeple. Ooh, I feel like I'm like getting these words not that great but in this uh Dindara temple there was an old astrological um map of the stars um an ancient zodiac um and it was I think a temple of Hatshepsut I could be getting that um not like a temple to her but a temple that she built I believe um, and so I thought that was interesting because the first translation of this was a French translation from Egypt, and he had a lot to do with that. And for some reason, I can't quite remember the connection right now, but it'd probably be really fun to look up. I'm thinking about Plato <laughs> and Plato talking about Atlantis. Um, now... Uh, if you read Plato on Atlantis and him talking to this old priest um, about Atlantis, you would know that he says that the ancient goddess and possibly the head being over Atlantis was indeed Neith in Egypt, who would be considered the sky goddess, the naked sky goddess that's... um over you know the sky and so of course when we're saying the sky we're talking about the cosmos she's an ancient goddess of the cosmos um who is uh, when i saw her in a dream she told me that her name was newt like isaac newton so it was pronounced newt so we'll say newt and so newt was the being over atlantis who would later become Athena in uh, Greece. But that she was originally the goddess and being over Atlantis civilization. And that this was an ancient history of Egypt or the pre-dynastic Egyptians. Um, He also talks about multiple cataclysms that happened before the last quote-unquote flood, which is very interesting. Um, And so even he mentions, this old priest mentions that, you know, there are certain things that even the priesthood um, is not aware of. And what he was telling Plato was only a small snippet of 
um, what was to be known. So, like I said, I can't quite remember how those things are connected to each other. Um, and I do know that this church, I believe it sits on Henry the Navigator Street, which is super important because, wait, hold on. Let me, Enrique, which is Henry the Navigator there was something about him and oh yes yes I will get to that Enrique the Navigator I'll get to that in a second thank you yes Prince Henry the Navigator was a Portuguese explorer Dom Enrique of Portugal, Duke of Viseau, better known as Prince Henry the Navigator, central figure in the early days of the Portuguese Empire and the 15th century European maritime discoveries and maritime expansion. Oh, yeah, 1113. That's super significant. But I'm trying to remember how he was connected. He could have been connected to the Knights Templars, which is a whole other story I'm going to talk about in a minute, because you can't really talk about, uh, yes, you can't really talk about Portugal without talking about the Grail, right? <laughs> because it's Portal of the Grail in Portugal. <laughs> oh my goodness. Okay, so yes, Yes, I was about to say, I'm pretty sure he had to do with the slave trade, but I wanted to not put that on him if that wasn't true. Because, of course, you know that um, Portugal was a very big player in the slave trade. Um, and I also had a dream about that, but I ain't going to talk about that. Just Am I going to talk about that right now? Not right now, but I might tack it on to the end. So just in case you don't want to listen to that part, I'm not mad at you. Um, but yes, he was big in the slave trade okay so listen to this so prince henry the navigator aka infante um dom enrique was a portuguese prince who famously helped capture the north african city of c-e-u-t-a <laughs> sponsored voyages so henry sponsored voyages of exploration with the aim of building colonies in the north atlantic and west africa and began the portuguese involvement in the african slave trade he earned his title the navigator because he assembled a large group of designers and maritime experts to design new ships maps and navigational instruments Henry then funded expeditions to use this knowledge to sail the high seas and explore the West African coast. Building up a massive body of maritime know-how with each expedition, Henry oversaw the first stages of a process that gained the Portuguese a global empire. Okay, so that's as much as I'm going to talk about that for right now. Um, and just for a fun fact, he is connected in with the Royal House of Lancaster. Now I use royal really, really loosely because them royals was into some weird stuff. And I think weird even has a actually has a positive connotation. So I'm going to say uh, some strange stuff. Now strange could have a positive connotation too, but you understand what I'm saying now. Um... Oh, let's see. Okay, I'm going to read one more thing. So, in 1415, the Portuguese attacked the rich Muslim city of C-E-U-T-A in North Africa in a renewal of Christian-Muslim hostilities. 
Okay, I'm sorry, another kid <laughs> that I had to like go handle right quick, okay? So, anyways, um, Henry uh, instrumental in the slave trade. All right, um, so we talk about Portugal, right? I'm just talking to people who um haven't really heard this before. You would know that Portugal um is a grail city, Portugal. Portugal is the portal of the grail, the holy grail. Um, if you read into, you know, more occult things, um, you would know that the grail, the golden cup on the silver platter, um, is talking about um, a bloodline. Um, the cup would be sort of a representation of a bloodline, a woman who holds the bloodline. And so this woman... Um, would be Mary Magdalene, and it's actually still a little bit, um, it's still a little bit confusing because from what I understand, the more traditional belief is that it's a bloodline between, um, um, you know, there's still, the more traditional belief is that, you know, this is a bloodline between Mary Magdalene and Jesus. Um, however, there's also another theory that this is a bloodline between Mary Magdalene and John the Baptist and that possibly Jesus was married to a different person um which is why you know there are some Templars who are you know quote-unquote worshiping or whatever the case may be this sort of Baphomet statue which would be um Baph which comes from a baptism a washing or renewing a purifying um, and um, Metis, which would be uh, of the mind. Now, I haven't done extensive research um, on the etymology of Baphomet, um, but when I saw those two put together, um, I definitely got a sense that it was something like that. Uh, now, of course, sometimes you would hear that, you know, like <laughs> they're worshiping a head, a skull of John the Baptist. Um, which if you go back to more ancient cultures, um, especially, I want to say the Welsh culture, um, like, uh, Bran, I think that's how you pronounce it, Bran, um, that was definitely a practice of them, um, after one of their great wars or something died, they would definitely cut off the head of this person and take the skull back home. Like, let's say they died in battle away from home. Um, and they would definitely use it as a divination tool. So modern day times, that sounds very strange, but that is a thing, you know, seen as a very sacred holy practice, which is why eventually, um, eventually, um, other people started catching on to this practice of sacred divination of this fallen soldier or, you know, king or something. And so they actually started capturing the king and, um, taking the head. So that's when people start talking about, you know, and bring me the head so that now the enemies would have access to, um, the divination of the head. So I wouldn't necessarily be surprised if they were divining his call. Maybe that was like a thing. I don't know. I don't know that for certain, but that's what I have read. Um, so of course, Portugal has a really uh, deep history connected with the Templars who, spoiler alert, um, would not be 
considered good Christians at all because they believe in something that most Christians believe is blasphemy is that (laughs) Jesus had a family (laughs) and they were the people who were protecting this bloodline um and so very very interesting oh wait and there was something in my head that was like oh yeah you should mention this um I can't really think of what it was and like just boop oh oh yes thank you thank you so um underneath this golden church there was a I think it's a mausoleum I think that's what it's called where they bury um you know important people to the church and so I just found this by somebody's pictures that they took in the church um that there were at least I remember consciously seeing at least three sites, um, three people buried there who had the traditional skull and crossbone. Skull and crossbones? Why does that sound weird? Crossbones? Skull and cross bones, because it is bones. I don't know why it sounds weird me saying that, but they had that traditional marker for their um, for their tombstone, so to speak. Now, of course, maybe somebody will be like, oh, that's, you know, a representation of the Shiro, right? Which is a whole nother thing I'm gonna talk about in a whole nother time period. I don't want to really get into that right now. Um, but the Shiro. However, I've actually found that, excuse me, associated to, of course, the occult, but also um, to the Templars as well. So I definitely think that this church has like some really, really deep Templar history. I'm not super sold on that, you know. Napoleon just magically went to this place to use it as a horse stable. I don't believe that. Um, and, and um, <clears throat> excuse me, I was thinking about that dream I was going to talk about. <laughs> you heard me choke up, right? Like, just ever so slightly choke up. So I'm going to be very careful with how I put this. Let's get to the dream that I had that's connected to the slave trade and Portugal, okay? So I had a dream. I'm going to be kind of vague because I'm not sure how much of it, like, how much detail. But, I mean, uh, if you read into these things, you do research, then you'll be able to put it together. Um... Um, from what I saw in a dream, um, there was a very, very strategic, uh, at the beginning of this slave trade, not, not all the way through. I'm not saying this was a practice that was done all the way throughout, because of course, like anything, once you start expanding out, um, the procedures and, uh, original intention can get watered down and it can start spiraling into something that you didn't originally intend. I mean, that's like the life story of almost every fraternal and organization, right? Um, you know, uh, any, you know, organization founded on principles, you know, a, a sort of, um, uh, inevitable sort of thing is that you know if there's not a very rigorous process of who is in the organization and 
keeping to the principles and really thoroughly vetting people, um, the original intention and thing can get lost. So I'm just saying that because I'm talking about more of the original intentions of the people who sparked this idea um, on a soul level, on a spiritual level. I'm not talking about what was physically being done or what physical reasons, manual labor, blah, 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 blah. I'm talking about a spiritual level. Okay, what I was shown in a dream um, was that this was very intentional um, to pull certain bloodlines um, in uh, in West Africa, that it was very specific to certain African tribes um, and that they went in with the intention of enslaving to um, uh sort of grasp or capture certain individuals who came from a specific bloodline who had a specific spiritual um energy to them and that a lot of them would come from um a lot of them would come from um sorry let me get the baby together a lot of them would come from royal royal families um at least spiritually so i'm not a thousand percent sure that they were like necessarily chiefs of the tribes and stuff like that um they could have forgotten who they were by the time these people got there and that's why it was so easy for them to be sold into slavery and things like that i'm not exactly sure but from a spiritual perspective they were a part of um some type of royal bloodline that these capturers were looking for and they wanted control over so that's that part (laughs) that's all i'm gonna say about that okay um but of course if you have any questions or any comments concerns anything like that you are more than welcome to email me at dimensionaldreamsdd that's two letter d's at gmail.com um and i'd love to talk and discuss especially if you've had a similar dream um i think that that would be awesome and the baby is about to fuss so i'm gonna go ahead and end it right here make sure that you do come back to the channel and um get some more information bye man i'm loving your vibe Man, I'm loving the vibe